You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell on this Monday. It is Veterans Day, so a special shout-out to the troops. Make sure you thank anybody that you know or that you don't know that you see supporting our country with their service. Uh, Veterans Day, uh, excuse me, it is Veterans Day. It is correct. It is Veterans Day. Uh, so shout-out to the troops. Make sure you give them your support. As we always do, we appreciate them um, always laying down their lives and putting their lives on the line for us. Uh, Raja, my man, is out today. As you can tell, I'm struggling already without my partner here on the show. He'll be back tomorrow. But in his absence, we have Gary Parrish who's going to join us to help us break down the James Wiseman uh, stuff that's going around around Memphis. What does it mean with Penny Hardaway's squad? He's no one knows Memphis the way he does. So we're going to have him at the bottom of the hour to help us break that down. And we have plenty, plenty of stuff to get to a massive show, including the LSU Bama game, which LSU won. What does that mean for the college football world? What does it mean for Alabama's playoff hopes? That and a lot more that we have to get to. But let's start it off in the NFL where I want to say my guy. Uh, and I'm not talking about Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins truly is my guy, but I feel like Lamar Jackson people are starting are finally starting to appreciate what I've seen in Lamar Jackson since he was a quarterback at Louisville. And that is somebody who is dynamic, somebody who is more than just your ordinary quarterback, and he's not somebody who's playing in the wrong position. No, Lamar Jackson is the perfect athlete, the perfect football player to play the position for the Baltimore Ravens. And it has been controversial as when he was coming out people said no 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 wait a second maybe they should switch positions I never thought that was the case and I think you have to give a ton of credit to the Baltimore Ravens for actually utilizing him as the weapon that they drafted and by and by doing that I mean they're actually letting him use his incredibly insane running abilities to actually tear apart defenses because historically we haven't seen quarterbacks play the position the way Lamar Jackson has, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means they recognize they have something special and they're going to use it. And they have somebody who is electric, who is lightning in a bottle. No matter what happens, he can make a play out of nothing. But on top of that, every single week that Lamar Jackson goes out there, he is developing and becoming more of a more of a threat in the passing game which is something they didn't have last year when they were just trying to make a playoff run. So they said, you know what? We're just going to run him. We're going to limit his exposure in the passing game. To now, the full playbook is open, and good luck to defenses to try to stop that. As Lamar Jackson became just the second quarterback in NFL history with two perfect passer ratings in the same season. The other one was Ben Roethlisberger, who did it back in 2007. Those games came against, yes, they were lower-tier opponents in the Dolphins and Bengals, but... It's still almost impossible to achieve what he's done, having the perfect quarterback rating. It just doesn't happen. I mean, a lot of guys can't, wouldn't be able to do that if it was seven on seven in practice. It's just really hard to do, even if you were off limits, if you were off, um, you know, contact to the opponent 
you still wouldn't be able to do that. So it's a credit to him. Also, you're starting Lamar Jackson is starting to get recognized, not only by his teammates. It's no surprise that his teammates are pumping him up saying, yes, he's incredible. But defenses and specifically defensive players, including guys in the Patriots who have faced Lamar Jackson say, man, he, we, we didn't think he was that fast. When you watch him on film, you don't think he's that fast until all of a sudden, boom, he goes right by you. And you're like, Oh, this guy has next level speed. You don't really appreciate it until you've tried to stop him on the field. And I think Lamar Jackson is a very, very real candidate for the MVP. And I think this year, you're seeing this race completely wide open and you're going to have an interesting mix of veterans, guys like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, to some newcomers like Lamar Jackson, um, to guys that are kind of maybe flying under the radar and they've had up and down seasons. Russell Wilson comes to mind. It is going to be a fascinating wide open finish to see who becomes the MVP, the most valuable player in the NFL. And I think Lamar Jackson has an outstanding to be in that spot. And kudos for him and kudos for the Ravens for accomplishing what they have so far to date in this season. Another player, and I'm going to have Joey hop in and here without the uh, uh, in-between kind of segments as we kind of work through the show without Raja. Joey's going to hop in too. But we'll just shift over to the Kansas City Chiefs who brought back their MVP candidate, Patrick Mahomes, who was on pace to go back-to-back and still until he got hurt. And he comes back from injury, which he missed the past couple games, and he looks fine. He looked great. He returned right there, like it didn't even leave off. Uh, over 400 yards passing, three touchdowns through the air, zero interceptions, was incredible. But Patrick Mahomes is not a concern for the Kansas City Chiefs. The concern the Chiefs should have is the same exact concern that they had last season. It's where is this defense? And I get that they tried to address it in the offseason, but clearly they didn't do a good enough job because when they needed it the most, they literally could not get off the field versus the Titans. Derrick Henry goes off for 188 yards and two touchdowns. Ryan Tannehill, who, by the way, looks like he could be – he Ryan Tannehill could, found, could have found second life with the Titans for his career since he's taken over from Marcus Mariota. He's not only been impressive for that team, Ryan Tannehill has been impressive for what he's – uh, compared to the rest of the NFL, the types of numbers he's putting up as a quarterback. So he might have found another opportunity and a second back end of his career where he could get a fresh start and could be the Titans' ish, uh, answer for franchise quarterback at Tennessee. But back to the original point, Kansas City's defense has major, major issues, major flaws, and it doesn't matter how good Patrick Mahomes is. It doesn't matter how great a coach Andy Reid is offensively. If they can't get off the field, those guys won't be able to do their jobs. And that is something that the rest of the NFL has taken notice of. That once the Colts did it and they started to, to own the time of possession, hold the ball for 40 minutes in a game, every other team, including the Titans, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to say, you know what? We're going to run it 40, 50 times a game. We don't care what it looks like. We don't care what the score is. As the Titans found themselves down in the game, said, you know what? We're still going to run the football because we don't want to go down further. And if the Chiefs don't have the ball in their hands, it renders Patrick Mahomes and all that offensive fireworks, it renders them useless. So they're going to have to do a better job than they have been to date or else they're going to find themselves in the exact same position they were last year, the back end of the playoffs and the Super Bowl, sitting at home watching with the rest of the league because their defense is a major liability. 28th in total defense, 31st 
in opponents' rush yards per attempt and 19th in scoring defense. A major challenge for them as they move forward. What else do we have, Joey? Hey, Danny, do you know who has the easiest strength of schedule based on win percentage the rest of the way? Uh, who would that be? Is that the Chiefs or is that the Titans? No, 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 no. Knock on wood if you're with me for the future AFC West champion, oh! Oakland Raiders, who are just a half game behind the Chiefs right now. Are you buying the Raiders yet? I am. I bought the Raiders a while ago, Joey, as a potential playoff team. Uh, I did not peg them as a potential division champ. And I think what you've seen out of the Chiefs, out of this this weakness that teams have started to, to discover, makes them vulnerable. Where And you, you referenced that the schedule lightens up incredibly. For the Raiders just to stay alive through that stretch when they seemingly were on the road for about six months, and I know it wasn't that long, but they were playing in London. They were playing you know road games seemingly every single week. Now their schedule lightens up. Uh, they are absolutely a player in the back half of the schedule. I think they're a lock to make the playoffs, and I do think you might even find some value on them to win the division as they're getting right at the right time and the Chiefs are kind of falling off. And really, people are going to start to explode that exploit that defense until they get it corrected. So until I see them fix it, I have some major concerns about the Chiefs from that perspective. Um, All right, let's, uh, let's talk about last night's yeah. game. Um, before we get to your boy, your yeah. boy, your cousin, let's talk about Dak. Uh, another good game, by all accounts, good game last night. 397, three touchdowns. He threw the one pick, um, but they lose. And maybe no coincidence that it's amidst reports that they there's nothing going on with his extension talk and that he's headed towards a franchise tag, which would be $33 million next year. Um, but he's top 10 in a bunch of passing categories this year. What, what more does the guy need to do? for them to sign him to this deal. You know, the Cowboys don't tend to let guys go into free agency. So the guess is that they get it done, but what, what do you see happening? I don't know, Joey, this one's starting to feel like it could be a little bit more like what the Washington Redskins did when they had Kirk cousins, my guy who they were playing against last night. When you can't come to an agreement, you can franchise Dak. And I think Dak might be okay with it. And if you watch the way Kirk cousins played it out, if you believe in yourself and your play has been evolving the way Dax has, you might be able to break the bank more so than most guys or more so than even a contract extension could land you a lot of money. You could really break the bank if you continued to go with the franchise tag route and agreed to that and said, you know what? If you guys aren't going to pay me what I think I'm worth, go ahead and franchise me and we'll play this game of chicken. We'll go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I'll keep winning games. I'll keep putting up stats that are in the top 10 of most categories. And then sooner or later... You guys are going to have to pay me a lot more money than even you thought was potentially there. So I think, I don't know. I, Joey, I think this one might run out and you might see Dak not get that new deal, the longer term deal. And you might actually see him get franchise tagged, which to me would be a benefit to Dak. And I know every player in the NFL wants, they want to have the guaranteed money for the long term. So there's long term security, something that Dak Prescott never has gotten yet as a fourth round pick. And he still wouldn't get it with the franchise tag, although $33 million, you can you can survive on that. Let's just say that. But he might be better off in the longer term if he doesn't agree to a a, a compromise and says, you know what, I'm gonna take my risk, I'm gonna take my chances, bet on myself. And then on the back end of that, he could end up getting the much bigger payday, as his guy that he was playing against, Kirk Cousins, did last night. I will say this: anytime I have the opportunity to get and to pound the drum and say Kirk Cousins is a legit franchise quarterback who was worth the 84 million that the Minnesota Vikings paid him. I'm going to take it. And this is that opportunity to do it 
because everything that's been said about Kirk Cousins, the knock, you can't say it sitting here today. And while he wasn't the most important reason they won that game, he also isn't the most important reason they lose some of the games in prime time or against teams with winning opponents. So if you're going to get the blame for losing when it's not your fault, I'm going to give you the credit for the for the game when you probably didn't even mean that much in the victory. Now, granted, he had a couple touchdowns, was pretty flawless in that performance. But let's be honest, the Minnesota Vikings are going to be are going to go as Dalvin Cook goes, and Dalvin Cook was really impressive in that game. 183 total yards with a touchdown. Clearly, that's what Mike Zimmer wants to be the identity of this team, and I would agree with him. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. I think he could be up for the MVP, but if Dalvin Cook is not on that team, I wouldn't say the same thing. So this team is going to go as far as Dalvin Cook can take them with Kirk Cousins calling the shots. And by the way, if he continues to have the month that he had in October, it doesn't matter what Dalvin Cook is doing. The quarterback's going to get most of the credit. He'll be in that conversation on the back end. So since week five, let me give you a stat. Since week five, Kirk Cousins, 15 touchdowns, one interception, completing 71% of his passes for a 124.4 passer rating. Believe it, Kirk Cousins is a very real candidate for the most valuable player in the entire NFL. You know who's not, but may have bought themselves a little bit more life is Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. Now, they got the win, their first home win of the season over the weekend, but it wasn't because of great coaching. It wasn't great play. It might have been because they were handed the victory (laughs) because they failed to convert on eight consecutive plays inside the two-yard line in the second quarter and ended up with just three points on those two possessions. Despite that, they still get the win. They also had a safety on their first position of the third quarter. This is the Browns team that I thought we were going to see more of this year. All this talent, when they put it together, they can win games. But it's just kind of this game encompasses exactly what they are. That's highly inconsistent, a little bit erratic, all over the place. And yet, when they needed it, they had some incredible plays in the game made by Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham. Jarvis Landry had an insane catch where he's running around it, readjusted the uh, throw, and comes up with a big catch to set them up late in the game. So this is the Browns team I thought we were going to get more of. I didn't think it would be as much of a dumpster fire as it's been to this point. This is more what I thought. And that's a team that can beat anybody in the league if they put it together. And even even in a sloppy effort, they still got the win in that one. So I'm not, you know, I'm a basketball guy. I'm not a football guy. So judging coaches is not really my thing. But when (laughs) I'm watching games and I don't know X's and O's and I'm seeing these things and I'm like, how is this guy a head coach? It seems to me, I don't know, you got to tell me if you agree. Freddie Kitchen seems in over his head. And it's not just the eight straight plays inside the two that they failed on. But you got Baker Mayfield out here saying how he's going to force feed Odell Beckham Jr. He had 12 targets and only caught five passes. How can they not draw plays to get this guy the ball? How can they not be more effective? Is Freddie Kitchens, can he last? I, can he last? In, in it's Cleveland? A, uh, he... It's still up in the air whether uh, Freddie Kitchens survives this year, which I think by all accounts, sitting at three at six, is a disaster. When they were picked in favorites from Vegas to win their division, um, the four-game stretch, what they lost, and granted, they lost to some good teams in there, uh, in the 49ers, Seahawks, and Patriots, but losing to the Broncos was really a tough one. I think, Joey, it depends on the rest of the season. I think Freddie Kitchens is coaching for his future, 
But the, and it's not even so much to me. It's the wins and the losses. It's how they came. Some of the distractions that have been out there, you know, one of the most undisciplined teams in the NFL. That to me is a direct reflection of the head coach. So for me, it depends on what they can do in the back end. And we talked about the Raiders schedule being easier. The Browns are also a team that in the back end of their schedule, their final seven games, they have matchups against the Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, don't look now. The Dolphins are actually one of the hottest teams in the NFL. Back-to-back wins. But they still should win that one. Two games in the next three against the Steelers, to me, will determine Freddie Kitchen's future. In the next three weeks, we'll know if Freddie Kitchens is going to survive this season. He can't afford back uh, two out of those losses. If he loses to the Steelers, Dolphins, and Steelers again and goes one and two in those games, he's toast. He has to go two and one at minimum. Uh, and then, though, it does lighten up again. Bengals, Cardinals before two more divisional games against the Ravens and Bengals. You know, I would say he's got to get to eight and eight at minimum. Uh, so a five and two finish to get there to save his job. That's what I'll put it at for him on the back end of this season. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Uh, Rajah's out today. He'll be back tomorrow. But as we continue to roll along, let's look at the college football world where it was billed as the game of the century, uh, the one between LSU and Bama in Tuscaloosa. And it it delivered, man. The game was incredibly exciting. Um, LSU pretty much after Tua Tonga-Valoa fumbled the ball away in the red zone when it was 0-0, LSU took control of the game and never really looked back. I didn't feel like LSU was ever truly threatened in that game. Where, yes, Bama, and credit to Bama, from keeping it from becoming a blowout, they continued to claw their way back into the game, and they had a crazy uh, touchdown, which was really an awful defensive, um, I don't know, it's a scheme. But when you have a defensive back in press coverage, late in the game and you have a two-score lead and you let a receiver get by you for a monster touchdown, you just simply can't let that happen. I don't know if it was on the coach or the defensive back, just went on his own and said, hey, I'm going to go press. In any case, it was an awful defensive call for LSU and almost cost them a chance at the game. Aside from that, I really feel like LSU controlled this game and was clearly the better team in this game. So congrats to them for doing it. And the takeaway that I had from this game is that Alabama's playoff hopes are done. They need massive, massive chaos in the college football landscape to get their way back into the playoff, which is their goal each and every single year. But I don't think Bama's going to get that. I think you're going to have Ohio State, 
represent the Big Ten. That's one spot. I think you're going to have Clemson represent the ACC. That is two spots. I think you're going to have LSU represent the SEC. That is three spots. And then it opens up, all right, well, where's that fourth spot coming to? Utah and Oregon are one-loss teams in the Pac-12 who are going to be favored most likely by a touchdown or more in their remaining games this season. That fourth spot, and I hate to tell you, Alabama fans, that's going to the winner of the Pac-12, assuming things run out the way they have. I think Oklahoma or Baylor from the Big 12, I don't think they're really strong playoff contenders, so I'm kind of writing them off. But I think Bama's playoff hopes just died against LSU this past weekend. Now, the scenario where you could see them creep their way back in, and this is something that's already being proposed and it's driving me nuts a little bit, because Bama simply doesn't have the resume. And if we're going to pound the table against Clemson and say, who is Clemson beaten? Who are they going to go out there? Their schedule is a joke. You have to say the same thing about Alabama because their their schedule has been as light as anyone's in the country and you can't bring to the table our best performance was a loss, which it might be when it's all said and done. But you can't sell the committee. You can't sell the college football world that you're at your best when you lose the game, oh, by the way, which was at home. Because their remaining schedule doesn't exactly have a lot of opportunities to impress against Mississippi State, against Western Carolina. The one place they could do it is against Auburn on the road in a rivalry game, which still would be a pretty impressive win, but it wouldn't be anywhere near as much as LSU had done or Georgia had done, two teams in your own conference who are most likely going to be playing for a conference championship game. And let's just say Georgia beats LSU. LSU would then move to a team with one loss and you're comparing your resume versus Alabama's and you won the head-to-head. I'm telling you, Bama's playoff hopes are done. As far as the Heisman Trophy, that is a wrap too. That is absolutely done. I've been telling you on here for a month. Joe Burrow is your 2019 Heisman Trophy winner. Just put his name on the trophy already. Even if he doesn't take another snap this season, Joe Burrow is going to win. Even if he had two interception performances, multiple interception performances, the remainder of his season, which I don't think he does, by the way, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. The things that he's doing are remarkable. Not only is he going to win the Heisman Trophy, He might have one of the best seasons in the history of college football played by any quarterback in the history of the game. If he continues to complete passes at 78% clip, which he is, I mean, if he did it against Bama where he came out and completed the first 10 passes in a row, you're probably going to continue being as accurate as you have been. He's going to set the record for completion percentage in a season. Um, His 33 touchdowns to four interceptions is already pretty astounding when you consider He's not just throwing little bubble passes and screens all over the places. No, he's stretching the field vertically. He's going through progressions. He's moving the ball down the field and still incredibly accurate with the football. Joe Burrow, your 2019 Heisman Trophy winner, in case you didn't know that already. Real quick, before we uh, hit the break, I I heard your your playoff teams, but there's a team you didn't mention even once in there. Minnesota. They just beat Penn State. They got, let's see, they got Iowa, yep. they got Northwestern, they got Wisconsin, and then 
They got that Ohio State game. Yes, they do. I mean, are you just saying they can't beat Ohio State? Because they're in if they get that done. Oh, yeah. Minnesota is a position, Joey, where they control their own destiny. That's exact, And that's where every team should want to be. And I actually gave them a pretty good chance against Penn State to cover the line. I didn't think they'd win. I thought it would be a close game. But, man, you talk about Joe Burrow's performance against uh, LSU, uh, Bama. Tanner Morgan, the quarterback for Minnesota, was close to flawless in his own right. 18 of 20 uh, for three touchdowns. And P.J. Flex squad uh, got one of his signature wins in his young tenure as the head coach of Minnesota. I'll say, Joey, it's more for me about not believing that Minnesota is going to run the table. I think they might meet Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game as an undefeated team. But I don't think they have quite enough firepower to stop Ohio State in that position just yet. So a ton of credit to Minnesota. And one of the biggest indicators we'll learn about the selection committee is how much do they value being undefeated and actually having now a signature win? How much are they willing to go to admitting they were wrong on Minnesota last week when they had them ranked 17th? I think Minnesota should be ranked in the top six or seven. But will the committee move them up 10 or 11 spots but will be something to learn a, about that. Here's one thing about Minnesota, though, because we talked about the Big Ten, and I know there's still always going to be bias from the media on the SEC being the best conference, but we talked about the Big Ten being the best conference potentially this year. If they were to lose one, they can still lose one game and get to the Big Ten title game. If they were to lose one but then beat Ohio State, Locked. is there an argument for them to be a one-loss yes. Big yes. Ten team in the college football playoffs unless they lose to northwestern if they lost on the road to iowa or lost in a close game against wisconsin and that was their only blemish and then they beat ohio state i still think minnesota would be in i think the winner of the big 10 is in as a, a lock whether it's ohio state or whether it was minnesota i think the winner of the sec is a lock the way those two conferences are perceived as the strongest in college football especially if you're a one loss team whether it was Minnesota or let's say Ohio State was upset in one of their last regular season games, I think the the winner of the Big Ten at one loss is in over Alabama, even still. Uh, and I think the, the one loss SEC champ uh, would be in as a lock as well. All right, welcome back to Kennell and Bell. For any uh, college basketball fan who's trying to figure out the Memphis situation with James Wiseman. There's nobody better to help us break it down than our very own CBS Sports Basketball, uh, College Basketball Insider, Gary Paris, who's going to do that just right now. So, Gary, can you walk me through this for the casual fan who might be tuning in, just getting up to date on college hoops as, you know, you're kind of seeing that season get ramped up. Can you explain exactly what happened over the weekend when he is ruled ineligible by the NCAA and yet Penny Hardaway says, you know what, I'm still going to play him. Can you give us kind of a synopsis, a recap of what has unfolded uh, in the past week with Memphis and their basketball program? Yeah, it's an unusual story, obviously, but the simplest version would be this. Before Penny Hardaway was the Memphis basketball coach, he was a Memphis booster for a variety of reasons, most notably because he made a $1 million donation to the University of Memphis Athletic Department once upon a time. And according to NCAA rules, if you ever make a donation to a school's athletic department, you are a booster forever. So, meantime, in 2017, Penny Hardaway's the head coach at East High School in Memphis, and the NCAA, uh, working in conjunction with the University of Memphis, uh, has found that Penny Hardaway gave James Wiseman's mother approximately $11,500 to move from Nashville to Memphis. And so what you have here when you strip away the details 
again, the simplest version is somebody who was considered by the NCAA to be a Memphis booster, paying a, a sizable amount of money to the mother of a five-star prospect and recruitable student athlete to get them to move to Memphis, and then that prospect ultimately enrolled at the University of Memphis. So by, by any normal definition of anything, that is a clear NCAA violation. So the NCAA has um, made Memphis aware. We believe a violation took place. We believe James Wiseman is likely ineligible. And what most schools do under these circumstances is withhold the student-athlete from competition until they can get the issue resolved. Uh, that's what Memphis was planning to do Friday afternoon, but James Wiseman went to court in downtown Memphis and got a temporary restraining order um, that, that blocks this, again, at least for the time being. And the University of Memphis at that point decided to play James Wiseman in defiance of the NCAA, and presumably he will play again tomorrow night on national television against Oregon. And so what makes this so wild is that uh, no other university that, that I am aware of has ever handled a situation like this in this way, but Memphis is essentially daring the NCAA um, to do something about it. Well, speaking of, all right, so they dared them. What could the NCAA do in response? Well, um, they will be back in court. Um, on November 18th, and most legal analysts believe that the uh, temporary injunction will be uh, extended and that this will more or less be tied up in court um, through, uh, through the end of the college basketball season and probably unresolved until well after James Wiseman is already in the NBA. And so the prevailing thought right now is that unless the University of Memphis and the NCAA can can resolve this situation between themselves, Memphis will continue to play James Wiseman without interruption, and ultimately, if the NCAA chooses to not allow this to happen, they would have to go through a normal enforcement process. Then they notice of allegation and say that we believe in the year 2019-20, you played an ineligible player, here is why, and then you know Memphis would be, have 60 days to respond, and then there would be a committee on infraction, there would be a, a, a traditional NCAA case, and Memphis would, if found guilty of doing exactly what the NCAA believes it's doing right now, would ultimately have to vacate the season. And what's in, uh, interesting is I think Memphis, the university officials, understand that what they're doing right now puts them at risk of having to vacate the season and also face additional punishment in the future, and yet they are doing it anyway. Yeah, this is a team ranked 14th, could have aspirations to possibly make a run, be one of the better teams in the college basketball uh, landscape. But I think it's fascinating, Gary, the response to this. And it's sort of this massive shift in our culture, the way we look at college athletics, because there's this move to pay the players and the players are exploited, that no one's criticizing Memphis for potentially breaking the rules. It's almost been like, yeah, go Penny Hardaway, stick it to the man. I think, what, why do you think Penny is deciding to go ahead and just overlook any potential uh, repercussions and saying, you know what, I'm going to take my risk and move forward. Does he actually think they have a great chance to have these, you know, charges and have him ruled eligible in the long run? Or is this more some sort of greater stance Penny's taking? I, I think it's probably both. And you touched on something that's important. You know, the, the, the mindset um, is so anti-NCAA across our country right now that anybody who takes them on is largely going to be applauded from, from coast to coast. And so I think that, yes, Kenny Hardaway, the University of Memphis, James Weissman specifically are, are taking a, a, a stand uh, in defiance to maybe prove a larger point. 
I also believe that there are high-powered lawyers who have convinced Penny Hardaway and James Wiseman that they can win this case, and perhaps they can. You know, the lead attorney on this is a man, uh, uh, a man named Leslie Ballin, who once um, helped a woman beat a murder charge who shot her preacher husband in the back while he was sleeping. So maybe if you can do that, the NCAA is light work. I would rule nothing out, but I will say that historically the courts have ruled on the side of the NCAA in these types of cases, meaning the NCAA is a voluntary member organization. Nobody makes anybody be a member of it. But once you voluntarily become a member, you um, agree by extension to play by their rules. And again, it's important to note, nobody is denying that this happened or that it was a violation, not Penny Hardaway and, and not the University of Memphis. They're just saying that, you know, we wanted it to be, to be resolved in a way that the NCAA didn't seem willing to resolve it. But again, the courts have historically ruled that the NCAA is allowed to enforce its rules how it seems fit. So Memphis is clearly, and James Wiseman, fighting, if you will, an uphill battle. But um, I've been surprised before. Perhaps I'll be surprised here, too. What's the ceiling for this Memphis team, both with and without them? Do they have any chance to do anything without them? I and mean, it has to be with Wiseman if they have, you know, national title uh, uh, aspirations, right? I mean, if you just watch the two exhibitions that he did not participate in in the first two regular season games, uh, the team looks uh, like a totally different team. They could be good without him, but they, if the goal is to be great, they need him in, in the lineup. And with him in the lineup, alongside a, another projected lottery pick in Precious Achua and multiple other top 75 prospects in Boogie Ellis and D.J. Jeffries. Boogie Ellis was once committed to, to Duke. D.J. Jeffries once committed to to Kentucky, it is a talented roster, one of the most talented in the in the nation, and that's what's going to make this a, a fascinating story if it continues to go down the path that it's going. Because you could have the University of Memphis nationally relevant and legitimate Final Four contenders all season while playing a student athlete that the NCAA has already announced to the world is all is likely ineligible. Like I said, we've never really seen anything like this. Uh, I think it's probably just a really bad coincidence and bad timing for the NCA as they've been really dealing with a, a PR nightmare. I was interested the anti-NCA mindset that's out there across the country is just overwhelming. But it does seem kind of ironic that here they are, potential number one NBA draft pick, potential M- uh, number one NFL uh, draft pick in Chase Young at Ohio State. They're both these rulings come out. You know, Ohio State takes Chase Young off the field. He's going to miss a couple games. The NCAA looks into him. Is this the NCAA trying to flex his muscles somewhat in response to the negativity? Or is this just horrible timing for them that they're having to come out and rule on these two circumstances? I think it's probably more of just horrible timing because you're exactly right. I mean, with everything the NCAA is fighting on the name, image, and likeness front, that um, their position is, is, is now unpopular through, throughout the country, uh, with casual sports fans and, and, and student athletes. Um, even if University of Presidents still wants college athletics to look very much like it's looked for, uh, a long, long time. And now they're dealing with this, where the, the number one football prospect in the country is, is being held out of competition. And if the NCAA had its way, the number one basketball prospect in the country would also be held out of competition. And so, um, I, I've said for a long time, I, I don't like the NCAA's rules. If you left them up to me and left it up to me, I would change them tomorrow. But um, given that there are rules in place, um, people are, are expected to, 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 to play by 
buy them. And when you don't in your club, there is almost always a, a, a price to pay. At Ohio State, Chase Young is paying that price right now. And um, at Memphis, James Wiseman could eventually pay it. And Memphis could, could also eventually pay an even heavier cost because uh, they are in defiance of the NCAA at this moment. All right, last question. James Wiseman projected by some to be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. Give a give me a scouting report on what you know. If somebody hasn't seen him play, what type of player is he, and how does his game tra- his game translate at the next level? It translates beautifully. I mean, he does play the least valuable position in the NBA now. The center, he is a center and nothing but a center. But he's a super athlete, seven foot one, um, runs up and down the court um, in ways that are unique for somebody his size dunks everything, and he has shown early in the season to have the aggressive mindset that was really the only thing NBA scouts wanted to see to go ahead and label him the consensus number one pick in the draft. Um, Greg Oden, a healthy, young Greg Oden comes to mind when you watch him play, except he's more skilled than that. He's an incredible talent, um, a phenomenal specimen, and, and somebody who, yes, if we were holding the NBA draft tonight, um, he would almost certainly be the first player selected. Gary, appreciate the time, man. Enjoy your Monday. Awesome stuff there from Gary Parrish, our college basketball insider here at CBS Sports. Outstanding insight on that one. It is going to be really, really interesting to see how both of these situations unfold. Chase Young at Ohio State, who sat out their game against Maryland, and James Wiseman, who actually, Penny Hardaway, said, you know what? I'm going to play him. We're going to run it. We're going to run it out there, roll the ball out there, and we'll see what happens in the courts and what implications it could have. For Chase Young, there was something that unfolded during the game that was pretty interesting. A lot of speculation on why did this come to Ohio State's attention when it did, right? In the middle of the season, back end, they're number one team in the country, and they've had this incredible incredible run. When during the broadcast, it was kind of speculated that it was Maryland, their opponent on the field, as Ryan Day was calling timeouts before halftime when they were up by 40 to run up the score when he was doing an onside kick when they were up two touchdowns early that he was trying to rub it in a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it was the Maryland Terrapins who actually alerted the NCAA to it and said, maybe our best chance to win is without Chase Young on the field. The problem is Ohio State's really good even without Chase Young as Maryland found out on game day there. So a lot that we'll have to keep an eye on in the world of college athletics when, again, two potential number one draft choices in their respective sports under – some scrutiny right now from the NCA and what does it mean for their future and the NCA will be all over it right here Canel and Bell as well as CBS Sports HQ. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. So Raja and I oftentimes we talk about our families, right? Our kids. Uh I have some opportunity to talk about my nephew. So it's my sister's son. He's 6'9", basketball player right here in the state of Florida. He's a sophomore and he's starting to get to to get recruited by some premier programs across the country, including one that I might have a personal affection for, Florida State Seminoles. So he goes up there this past weekend, uh, unofficial visit, meets with Florida State, checks out their facilities, and yesterday on his way home, he stopped by, I can't believe this, he also had a little look in Gainesville to see the Florida Gators playing against the Florida State Seminoles and guess what happened? As has happened the last six years in a row, Florida State won. Have a look at the scene after the game. Hey, 
That's all I need to see. I'm done. Go to Tallahassee, son. What more do you need to see there as they're getting a little eat in the wind there, too, from Jameis Winston? A little bit of celebration there. But it's Joey, somebody who has spent a lot of time as an important part of that Florida State staff. What is there? Is this really a hard decision at all? It's got to be the Seminoles over the Gators, right? Well, it's de- well, look, six in a row speaks for itself. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it's definitely the Seminoles over the Gators. And I can't speak for Florida staff, but having worked for, for Leonard Hamilton and Stan Jones in Tallahassee for the four years that I was there, uh, look, they fly under the radar as one of the better co- – I know I'm biased as one of the better coaching staffs in, in college basketball, and in particular taking kids who – may not necessarily be considered the top, the five-star recruits, the the McDonald's All-American kids, and taking them and bringing them in and building them up into legit, not just legit college players, but pros. And it flies under the radar. They get first-round picks almost every year from Florida State or every other year. There's five guys in the NBA right now. Three of them are starting. And look, Coach Hamilton is one of those guys who, whether you go on to play professionally in the NBA whether you go on to play professionally overseas or you don't play basketball ever again, he will be involved in your life if you want him to be, and he will help you out, and he is connected all over the place. I still am in touch with Leonard Hamilton. He's one of the best dudes in the business. And, I mean, Danny, you know this too, and it's been a long time since you've been there and since I've been there, but there's no place like Tallahassee. So if you're going to spend a year in college or you're going to spend four (laughs) years in college, you should spend it in that place and definitely not Gainesville because that, come on. We We know the case there. Exactly. The armpit, armpit of Florida is in Gainesville right there. So, Ben, you heard it here. That's where you need to go. And plus, we all know academically, Florida State, hands down, the best in the state of Florida, the Harvard of the South, as we like to refer it to. All right, NFL, uh, there was some news, and Tennessee had the big win over the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. But Taylor Lewan, uh, who was suspended earlier season, missed a few games to start it off. Despite the win, had a rough game, and he's been struggling with penalties. One way to address your own personal demons, to address them head-on, which is exactly what he did after the game. Before we even start this whole thing, my penalties are a problem. I am 100% an issue with that. It's not intentional. I do not mean to do it. My intentions are good. I'm just trying to finish. And it's killing the team. And I know that. You guys need to know that. No one needs to call me out or anything because I, I, I got it, boys. I am completely screwing the team with the amount of penalties I've had in these last, what, six games? It's crazy. It's, it's, it's horrible. I cannot get penalties. I'm sorry. There's no need to ask about it because I know I'm an absolute liability when it comes to penalties. All right, so that's Taylor Lewan, who uh, yesterday was penalized three times for 24 yards. On the season, he's been penalized nine penalties in the six games he's played. My question for Joey or any fan would be, is this what you want to hear? Like, if you're a Titans fan, do you want a player to come out there? I say yes. Don't you want him to be accountable? Now, of course, what you want to see happen is you want to see the penalties to stop. You don't want to hear this become a weekly thing. But I think the fact that he's acknowledging it uh, head on and taking ownership. And then, yeah, after a win, it's a little bit easier to do that. I would think most fan bases would want a player to do that. Do you agree, Joey? Or do you think there's something where, hey, you don't even want to be joking around about this. This is a bad look. Oh, I, no, I, no, I, I like I, it. I was all, I, I was, I, when I read it, it didn't really have the same impact in, until I saw it. And when I saw it, I was like, yeah, you know what? I, hey, I'm, the I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with, uh, him you know, calling himself out and saying, look, I have a problem. The thing that stuck out to me about that was, Chiefs, um, you know, he, uh, you know, he, you said he got suspended for PEDs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't he just play an NFL football game? 
he had yeah. a lot of, I mean, he was talking really fast. He had a <laughs> lot of energy. Um, I might get in trouble for the implication, but maybe he should be tested for some other stuff. I don't know. Nah, he's always a guy who likes to talk a little bit extra. Likes to, he's got a podcast for crying out loud, right? Like he's got one that, that he's got a very big personality, which is why I think a lot of Tennessee fans like him because you do normally an offensive lineman doesn't say a lot. And he does. So I think it is kind of refreshing. I actually like the fact that he goes out there, calls himself out. I'm not going to go where you did. A little bit reckless, too reckless for my liking. Uh, but I can see where you tried to draw that parallel there. Uh, in the NBA, the Knicks are a dumpster fire, right? And, you know, historically, if you would have said this over the past 10, 10 years, you're like, yeah, well, they're the Knicks. Well, there was some optimism around the franchise this offseason and it has not started off great david fisdale the other night when he was asked about rj barrett and the load management came out with strong stance against it in other in any case they continue to lose so when they put up some front office members up at the front of the podium to address them they came off and said you know what we may have patience and we believe in coach and we believe in that group that we put together but we also know that as Scott and I both, referring to Scott Perry, have said a number of times, we need to find a way to have consistent level of effort and execution. At 2-8, and eight, is it too early to say David Fisdale is on the hot seat, Joey? Unfortunately, no, it's not because, I mean, I, this is sort of, I've never, I was in the NBA for a little bit and I've been watching it and you've, I mean, you know this, that, that was sort of unheard of. Two executives having a press conference and not firing anybody, but saying they support the coach. I just think it's, this this culture that James Dolan has set in with the Knicks, everyone's in fear for their jobs. They fire everybody. No one lasts. They never win anything. I, I've said this for a while. The league has to figure out a way to get Dolan out of there. If these guys are so concerned that they're going to get fired, then now they're putting their coach on the hot seat. It's just not a bad. It's it's a bad situation there. It absolutely. It's a bad situation, and I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with Raja. We're going to hit on the latest college football news as another coach was fired after before his second season was over. I don't like the trend. I'll tell you why tomorrow. Right here on Canel and Bell. Enjoy your Veterans Day. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.